put it up here for that reason. But uh, I, I put it up here today because our message uh, this morning is entitled, When God Does Not Make Sense. And for every one of us, there are times in our life that we have a lot of questions for God, isn't there? Times when we just scratch our head and go, God, what are you up to? And I know in my own self, I've had many times in my life, in fact, probably weekly, there are times when God just doesn't seem to make sense. And one of the things I always go back to is the couch, of course, as Pastor Errol would say. Of course we go back to the couch. What does that have to do with it? Well, it's because on this couch, well, couch like this, that as a young boy, I asked many of those same types of questions of my mom. Questions about when God doesn't make sense. Questions about why, why, why. If you've got toddlers or younger children, you know when they're in that why stage, don't you? Why, 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 why? We had a little neighbor boy uh, lives right next to us, and when he was in that stage, I mean he was in it 100%. I'd be outside pulling weeds out of the flower bed. He'd come over, Mr. Brent, what you doing? I'm pulling flower, I mean I'm pulling weeds. Why? Well, so the flowers will go. Why? Because I like flowers. Well, why? Tyler, would you just go home? You know? <laughs> I'm washing the car. Why are you washing the car? Because I like a clean car. Why? Well, I want people to like me. Why? You know? And you know what kids are like when they're in that stage. Well, I can remember sitting on a couch, like I said, much like this, asking my mom a lot of those why questions when I was a young boy and questions that every boy asked, you know? How did worms get in the ground? You know? How do fish hold their breath that long? You know? And being from Minnesota, of course, I'd ask, how come the Vikings never can win a Super Bowl? <laughs> you know? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Ushers, we have someone in the front row that needs to be exited, please. So. No. We have those moments, and I, I can think back to asking those questions, but what really stands out in my mind is asking my mom questions about God. Those are probably some of the most special times in my life, sitting on a couch like this and just snuggling up next to my mom and asking her the questions that, about God that just, you know, all of us probably still ask today. But, you know, asking the simple things, or, you know, what we thought, you know, might think as simple as, you know, how did Noah get all those animals into that ark? Didn't it smell? You know, how did Jonah stay in a whale's belly for three days and still live? And mom would try to give the best answer she could. But some of the real questions that really got me were those questions like, who created God? And mom would respond, well, you know, God's always been. He's the one that's created. But who was before God? And as a little boy, your brain just starts going, starting to fry. And then as you look at the far end of things and you ask mom, mom, how, you know, how long are we going to be in heaven? Well, forever. Well, how long's forever? Well, it's ever and ever and ever. And once again, little boy's brain goes, those are hard questions. As we've shared the last few weeks around NBC, there's been a lot of moments in each of our lives when we've kind of wondered, God, why? 
Why, God? A lot of times when, God, you just haven't seemed to make sense. And a few weeks ago, just before the Christmas season, I was laying in bed one night and just kind of pondering some of the events and tragedies that had happened in our own church family over the last several weeks. And I just sat there, or laying there, and I just, God, this just doesn't make sense. Why? Why is it that you don't make sense? And I could, as I was thinking about that and looking over and God just, you know, just that little, you know what that feels like, that little voice of the Holy Spirit, that's that quiet little voice says, you know what, Brent, when have I ever made sense? When have I ever made sense? Look at this Christmas story right now and you see the nativity sitting over there and you look at that. Does the Christmas story make sense? Does it make sense that the God of the universe would send His Son into a stinking stable as a little baby? Does it make sense that He would send His Son to an unmarried couple in the poorest of realms? Does it make sense that the God of the universe would come to this world unheralded except for some angels singing to some shepherds that nobody really cared about? It was just like that little thing. And I mean, we all have those moments and God just like, yep, I'm just like, yep. God, when have you ever made sense? But yet every one of us have been given by God that innate desire to try to understand, haven't we? We try to figure God out. We try to figure our situations out. We try to give an answer to the situations we find ourselves in. And we forget that all along, God has operated in a way he doesn't make sense. Pascal, the great philosopher, said it well. He said, human knowledge must be understood to believed. In a sense, you must understand human knowledge. You must know two plus two equals... (laughs) That's our treasurer right there, guys. No wonder we're struggling. Oh my goodness, no. This isn't a trick question. Two plus two equals four. You have to know that before you can build your knowledge. It's what you understand as he goes on. But he says, but divine knowledge must be believed to be understood. It's a matter of faith. Sometimes I think we get ourselves all worked up and all confused because we're trying to understand from a human knowledge point of view rather than understanding from a divine knowledge point of view. Realizing that to understand when God doesn't make sense isn't about what I can figure out up here in my mind. It's what I believe right here in my heart. And so this morning we're going to tackle this. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24 this morning. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at a great story that I think gives a great example of some early followers of Christ who are in the same boat that we are at many times. Confused, not knowing what's, what God is up to and questioning God and what He's doing in their lives. Luke 24 begins with the incredible story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The amazing story that we as followers of Jesus Christ have the wonderful ability to look back on history and see the whole story. To understand that Christ had to die. To understand that Christ had to raise from the dead to overcome death. 
to realize what the plan of God was that he was in, in, in inspiring his followers and equipping them for when the Holy Spirit would come on them and they would be witnesses throughout the world. But as these followers of Christ, in that moment, in that hour, they did not have the full story. They didn't have the full backdrop that we do. And so just like us, when we're in our crisis situation, when we're in our, in our situation when God doesn't make sense, we don't know the end of the story. And neither did they. And in Luke 24, as, they, as Luke accounts the, the resurrection, he speaks of the fact that some women had gone out to the tomb and they couldn't find Christ's body. Okay, it's one thing that he's dead. Now we can't find his body. Then they have this incredible vision of, of, of being uh, uh, told who Christ is and, and where he's at. Then the disciples go back as well trying to confirm the story, but they don't find him. And so in verse 13, we pick up the story we're going to look, up, look at today. As two followers of Jesus Christ, they weren't part of the inner circle of the twelve, but they were part of the followers, the disciples of Christ. And in verse 13 it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Uh, when I read that the other day, I was like, you know, it almost sounds like one of those jokes you'd hear, you know, there's two Jews on the road to Emmaus, you know. Uh, but it's not a joke, okay. This is a true story. Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. As we look in verse 14, they're talking about what's happened. Verse 15, they're talking and discussing these things with each other. They're trying to figure out what the events of the last few days mean. Just like when you and I are in a senseless situation, what are we trying to do? We're trying to figure out what's going on here. And so these two guys talking down the road, in fact, the Greek word there that's used is a word that means these are, this is a heated discussion. These guys are getting into it. What is going on here? What is happening? What is God trying to do in our lives? And I, as I was studying for this, one commentator had a neat, neat uh, outlook on this. He said, you look at these two men, what are they doing? They're talking about the situation instead of going looking for Jesus. Why didn't they go look and try, let's go find Jesus? Instead, they're talking about the situation. And the commentary made the, the comment, you know, isn't it true in our lives, too often when we're in senseless situations, all we're doing is muddling over, over and over in our mind, the situation rather than going to Jesus. Rather than looking for Jesus. That's extra. You can pay me later for that. Okay. But verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. In the middle of their questions, guess who shows up? Jesus. And guess who shows up in the middle of your questions and my questions? Jesus. But the crazy thing is, he doesn't walk up and go, I am here, Christ the Savior, I have all your answers. Instead, he just walks alongside quietly. In fact, these guys didn't even recognize him. 
How many times in our life when we've been going through senseless situations has Jesus been walking right alongside us and we haven't even realized it? And these men that day had the God of the universe walking right alongside of them, but yet they didn't even realize it. Now there's lots of questions about why they didn't know it was Christ. Some have said God hid hid himself from them in a sense, not letting them understand who he was. Others say he was, you know, in his glorified body, and so he looked differently, and they couldn't comprehend who he was. To be honest, it really doesn't matter to our story today. The simple fact is they were walking with Christ, and they didn't even realize it. They didn't even realize it. Verse 17, Jesus, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know all the things that have happened there in these days? Well, what things, he asked. The way this is worded here is to the point of, Are you, where, what, you know, what rock did you come out, uh, you know, crawl out from if you didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem this week? This is the main story of the main story. This is everybody's talking about this. What has happened to you? It's kind of like standing on a a corner of our streets out here holding a cell phone and somebody comes up to you and goes, what's that? You're like, well, it's a cell phone. No way, you can talk like that? I mean, that's almost the way it's worded here. The amazingness of where have you been? So verse 19 what things he asked and they replied about Jesus of Nazareth he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be crucified to death and they crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel it's almost as if they had lost their hope now We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the one that was going to crush Rome and give us our freedom. We had hoped he was the one that the prophets have talked about for hundreds of years. It seemed like he was the one. But now, it doesn't look that way. It's interesting that the writer uses the term hope there rather than believed. Because hope wavers. Let's be honest. Hope wavers. Belief should not. And what Luke is trying to get across here is they had kind of, they put their hope, they hadn't fully trusted, they hadn't fully believed. But they had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And sometimes in our lives, There might be some of us even sitting here this morning. We hope Jesus is the Messiah. We hope He'll get us out of our problems. We hope He'll give us direction in our life. We hope rather than believe. God's called us to believe. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But let's move on. Verse 21, we had hoped that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. 
In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, was, found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Can you imagine the unrest in these men? They're trying to figure this out. They don't know the rest of the story like we do sitting here this morning. They don't know the fact that Jesus, yes, did rise from the dead. All they know is Jesus is missing. And some of us today are living in our lives and we're feeling like Jesus is missing. We don't know the rest of the story. All we know is we can't find him. We don't know or feel like we can't find him. We don't know what is going on in our lives. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. When God doesn't make sense, I want to leave you with just five easy principles this morning. When God doesn't make sense, number one, go to the Scriptures. Go to the Scriptures. What did Jesus do as he showed up with these guys? They still don't know who he is. But he begins, as, the, as Luke accounts here, he begins to go through the Old Testament prophets, Moses and, and the prophets, and begin to explain to them the, what makes sense out of the senselessness that they're experiencing. He said, did not Christ have to suffer and then enter his glory? Didn't you realize that, that the prophets even spoke about this? When you and I face times in our lives when God doesn't make sense, let me encourage you this morning, great place to go to and start is right here. God's Word. Open this book to find the answers. Open this book to find the peace that even when you don't have the answers, you can trust God no matter what. When God doesn't make sense, go to the Scriptures That's why the psalmist wrote so well in Psalm 119. And there's how many verses we could back this up with and talk about. But the one that I just love, it says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Your word gives light to dark, senseless situations. When God doesn't make sense, go to his word. That's what Jesus did with these disciples on the road. Things weren't making sense. Where did he take them to? He didn't take them to a bunch of arguments. He didn't take them to a bunch of rationalizations. He took them to the word. Go to the scriptures when God is not making sense. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. One of the big parts of Jewish life was the area of hospitality. If you found a traveler on the road that needed a place to stay, you invited him in. It wasn't like us, who oftentimes when we see somebody coming to our door, we shut the lights off and, hey, everybody get in the back room, you know? (laughs) Uh, Maybe I just do that. Okay. Um, But hospitality was a huge thing. 
And so as they're on the road and they're realizing it's getting nighttime, we're home, but this traveler seems to be going on farther. They're like, hey, why don't you come over? Hang with us tonight. Enjoy our time of fellowship together. And so they did. In verse 20, or in verse, um, let's pick up verse 29. But they urged him, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. The second thought today, when God doesn't make sense, go to the table. Go to the table. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus wants to sit at the table with you. In our home, one of the great places to be is the table. What happens at the table? Well, of course, you eat. And for us over the holidays, we've eaten a little too much. Who was it I hit this morning? He goes, oh, that's Christmas yet. You know, I'm like, dude, I don't want to touch it. Okay? But what happens at the table? Too often in our American society today, table is throw the food on, gobble it down as fast as you can, and then get off to your next event. But the table was never meant to be that. The table was meant to be a place of communion and fellowship and growth together. Some of my greatest memories are sitting at the table at grandparents' homes as they're sipping their coffee and I got my root beer. Now, are we sitting there because we need coffee and we need root beer? Well, they maybe needed coffee. I probably didn't need the root beer. But we sit there, and we'll sit there for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, just shooting the breeze. And what happens at that table? I get to know my grandparents more. They get to know me more. Now as life is switching gears and stuff and my girl's going off to college and stuff, it was great at the holidays as they're back around. And what do we do? We sit at the table, not just to eat, but to get to know each other. And on Jesus' day at this time when these two disciples invited him in, they didn't go and sit at the table, they reclined at the table. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Put a grape in me, honey. (laughs) You know, they're, they're just sitting, reclining around a table that was short and just ripping bread apart, breaking it, eating it, dipping it, having a good old time of just relaxing together after a hard day. And as they took time just to relax, enjoy the fellowship of each other, we hear, as Luke recounts, their eyes were opened. Guess what happens when we sit around the table of God? And I don't mean literally a physical table. I mean the table where you and God hang out. It might be the dinner table where you got a cup of coffee and you've got his word open. It might be in your lounge chair. It might be in your car to work. It might be kneeling next to your bed. It might be sitting on a couch somewhere and just enjoying the presence of God and growing together. When God doesn't make sense, that's one of the places you need to go. And let God's Holy Spirit speak to you. These men, as they sat around the table... Their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden, all that didn't make sense started to make sense. When God doesn't make sense, go to the table. 
The third thing we see comes up here in verse 31 again. It says, Then their eyes were open, they recognized Him, and He disappeared from their sight. When God doesn't make sense, we have to remember that there are mysteries of God. We have to remember the mysteriousness of God. If, if I was God, here's how this situation probably would have worked out. You're talking with them around the table. Their eyes are open. And you're like, here I am, brothers. Thank you for your support. I love you guys. You're the best. You know, we're going to take on the world together. We're going to do awesome things together. I am so glad you stood by me through all this. This is going to be awesome. But what does Scripture say? The minute their eyes are open, what happens? He disappears. Are you serious, God? The minute when their eyes are open, the minute when they can understand and really interact with you, poof, you're gone. God, you just don't make sense sometimes. And that's when we have to understand the mysteriousness of God. I've often told people in counseling, when they're sitting there telling me their story and they're like, you know what? God just doesn't make sense right now. I cannot make any sense out of this. And this might sound cliche-ish, so maybe my counseling ministry will kind of just decline after this. But I'll, I'll often say, you know what? If you can understand God, then He's not God. If you can understand everything that He's doing, then He's not God. He's just your creation. I hate to tell you, but we got a puny human brain. He's the God of the universe. He's the God that spoke, spoke all this into existence. He's the God today that's keeping you alive. And you're sitting there going, boy, I sure wish I could figure him out. Are you serious? There is a mystery of God where we will never fully understand His ways, His thoughts, His plans. In fact, the Lord said it Himself through the prophet Isaiah. When you look in Isaiah chapter 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's like, you're trying to get a grasp on the thoughts of God? Are you serious? My thoughts are so much higher than yours. In this world, we experience just a glimpse of the magnificence of God. In this world, we just get a glimpse of what He's up to and what He's doing. And yet, we still try to think we're going to get a hold on God. I think sometimes we need the reminder, you know what, we're made in the image of God. God isn't made in our image. We're made in the image of God. We're made in just a fraction of who He is, just to give a little bit of a representation of who God is, and yet we still try to figure Him out. The other day uh, at our staff meeting, Pastor Errol had asked us all to go around and just share something uh, that God's been speaking to us. And one of the things that God's really been speaking to me is kind of this fact. And, and just on one passage of Scripture, short passage of Scripture has have I just been really focusing? And it, that's, it's that part in the Lord's Prayer, you know, right at the start. It says, you know, when Jesus was asked by his disciples, how should we pray? And Jesus said, well, here's how you pray, you know. Here's a sample. 
You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then the next part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I've really been chewing on that. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today as it is in heaven. If we're all honest with ourselves, and I'm as guilty as anybody, here's how I pray usually. Uh, Lord, I'd like you to accomplish my will in my world here today. Okay? God, I want my will to happen here today in my world. You got that? When that's not the point at all, it's your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done today in my life and in my world. I got to remember myself. There is a God so bigger than I am that I will never truly understand his plans and his ways. And one of those little phrases we got to remember over and over, there is a God and you're not him. There is a God and you're not him today. There will be mysteries of God that you will never, ever, ever understand and you need to be okay with that. And that leads us to our next point. When God doesn't make sense, number four, react with trust rather than being, being tripped up. React with trust rather than being tripped up. Verse 32. They asked each other. This is just after Jesus has disappeared. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Were not we feeling that there is something greater here than what we understood? And why didn't we just reach out and trust it? Why didn't we just reach out and trust it? That it was Him. We knew there was something. The way He spoke, the way He delivered, the way He walked. We knew there was something. But we just didn't reach out and trust Him. I think almost every time I preach, I come back to this passage of Scripture, but I think it's so key to our walk with Christ. But Proverbs chapter 3, when the writer of Proverbs says it so well, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to let your world sit on what this human brain can compute. But in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Submit to Him. Realize that our life that God has called us to is a, God, is a life of trusting Him. There are going to be times in our life when nothing ever will make sense. Life won't make sense. God's actions won't make sense. And what did He call us to do? He calls us to trust. And way too often, too many followers get tripped up with the difficult times of senselessness rather than growing their faith and growing their trust. What are you going to do when the difficult times come? And because difficult times are going to come, Jesus said it himself. He said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. And what is it when we find ourselves in those troubling situations? We're going, ah, who skipped the record? Who messed this up? Jesus said, you're going to have trouble and you're going to have to trust me. Just as a parent with a child, there's some things you have to put your child through that they're going, I can't do this. And what do you say? Trust me. When God doesn't make sense, you've got to learn to trust him. Not allow that situation to trip you up. And finally, number five, 
when God doesn't make sense, remember one day all questions will be answered. Amen? There's coming a day when all the questions of this life are going to be answered. Look at verse 36. This is now after these two disciples have left Emmaus and they've gone back to Jerusalem because they've got to tell their story. They've got to connect with the other disciples and let them know, you know what, those women weren't all off, you know. Those women, I think, had something. And all the women go, okay. Um, all the women are supposed to go, amen. You know, we're not off our rocker. We're not crazy. We're not seeing weird visions. We saw him. Verse 36 while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself, he's, they're with all the disciples, they're talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and straightened and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And skipping down to verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. These disciples came to the point of understanding Jesus finally came to the point of telling them, look it, here was the plan. I'm showing you this. And there is coming a day when we will all stand before Jesus Christ and every question of this life will be answered. Every moment of senselessness will be brought to sense. And what a great, great day that's going to be. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that for this time and for this moment, we're just getting a glimpse of things. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And this is no Macy's mirror. This is like a piece of tin being rubbed down to try and get a glimpse. He says, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The Apostle Paul says, what you're seeing right now, what you're seeing, the work of God, the way you're seeing people love, the way you're seeing people being used of the gifts of the Spirit, he says, this is just a small glimpse of what is to come. And one day you shall stand before Him and see Him face to face. This today, my friend, is not heaven. This today that we live in is not God's perfect environment. This place today that we live is just a glimpse of who Jesus is. But one day we shall see Him face to face. The writer of Revelation in Revelation 21 uh, just gives us an incredible glimpse of heaven and what that day will look like. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any see. Revelation 21, verse, verse 2, I saw the holy city. I guess our slide isn't working. That's all right. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, 
from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And here's the key to it. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. He says, I am the Alpha and the beginning. I am the God who's always been and who will always be. I have everything on both ends taken care of, and I have everything in between taken care of. And one day, you will see me face to face and understand. The old gospel hymn that said, you know, by and by, we shall understand it better, by and by. I won't sing it this morning just to keep you guys here. But that is so true. By and by, we will understand it better. In conclusion this morning, I cannot but go back to the story of Job in the Old Testament. And those of us who live life and been around church much, we got the story of Job down, the guy who had everything and lost it all. Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his health even. And it's interesting in that moment, he gets surrounded by, quote, unquote, these three friends that were supposed to encourage him. And we probably all have friends like these. Friends that are trying to make sense of the senselessness of our life. And what do they try to do? They accuse Job. You must have, you must have ticked God off. That's why all this senselessness is happening to you. You must have ticked God off. Something's wrong between you and God. You better get that fixed, Job. And Job's like, I've looked at my life. There's nothing that I can see, nothing that I can tell that has come between me and God. I don't understand this. And in the last part of that book, chapters 38 and on, in the midst of all this discussion, in the midst of all this questioning of what is God up to, guess who shows up? God. And God says, who is it that's questioning all this? Who are you? He says, were you there when I put the stars in place? Were you there when I created the, the birds of the fields? Were you th are you there taking care of the oceans and its waves and the sea? He says, you're not there. And yet you're questioning me. And in a sense, what God does in the eyes of Job and his three friends is he sets everything straight. He says, there are going to be some things you do not understand, but what you have to remember is I am God. And I have got your best interest at heart. I am watching out for you, and I've got this taken care of. I've got this. And maybe there's some of us sitting here this morning that just need to be reminded that God's got this. God's got this this morning no matter what you're facing. God's got this. As I said at the start of this message, one of the great places I loved to go was the couch and to sit with my mom and ask her all those questions and get the wisdom of a mom. And I had a great mom with lots of good godly wisdom and man, I cherish that yet to this day. 
But there is coming a day, my friends, when I won't sit on a couch, but I will kneel before the throne of God and I will have every question in the book answered. And so will you. So will you. As we kneel before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who's made it all and holds it all in his hands, and he will give us the answers to it all. And in the meantime, what does he call us to do? To trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Know that he's in charge. And he'll make your path straight. He'll put the light out there. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray together and then the worship team's coming just to close us out this morning in a great time of worship. And I encourage you this morning, if you need a meeting with Jesus this morning, you've got some questions that are hanging over you, some things that are just bogging you down. Myself and other pastors and deacons are going to just be standing across the front here this morning. And if you'd like somebody just to come alongside of you, put your arm around you and just pray with you and say, God, in the midst of the senselessness, we trust you today. We're going to give that opportunity today. But let's just bow our hearts together this morning. Heavenly Father, here we stand. Just some human peons this morning in a lot of ways. And God, I pray that you'd forgive us for trying to so many times try to get our brain around you and try to figure out all your intricacies. Help us, God, rather than trying to figure out our situation just to trust in you. Help us, God, instead of trying to find all the answers of the situation, we find the answer, which is you. And Lord, this morning, if there are some of us that are going through some hard times and those hard times have kept us from you, God, forgive us. And I pray today, God, that you would help us just to run back to you and say, God, I want you. I don't understand it all, but God, I want you today. And that, Lord, you would do your work in each of our lives this morning. God, receive our worship this morning and receive our honesty of broken hearts and questions today as we cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen.